Welcome to Six Picks Music Club, a music club for people who never really figured out Snapchat. Hey, hey, everybody. This is Dave, and I'm here with my buddy Jeffro. Yo, yo. And Russ. How's it going? And each week we pick two songs around a theme, and because there's three of us, conventional meth gets us to six. This week on Six Picks, we're going under the covers to talk about some of our favorite alternate takes, bands covering other bands' songs. Before we get there, should we uh, should we open up the club? We're going to need a password. Who's got a password this week? I think it's Busta Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm glad you got the pluralization on nuts. That's exactly right. Everybody, let's get on in there. Come on in. Lyrics! Lyrics! I was just thinking today to have a, like a lyrics challenge or a lyrics interpretation bit or like what is this lyric bit. And so I just one popped into my head when I was urinating earlier. Okay, so Sixth Avenue Heartbreak by The Wallflowers. He goes, the same black line that was drawn on you was drawn on me, and now it's drawn me in. What is the black line? Like, we all just kind of blindly sang that and accepted that lyric, but that, what the hell is he, it doesn't even, is it a, it's not a metaphor, is it? I mean, Jake, come on. Jakey D, like, break it down. What are you doing? Yeah. J- Jacob with a K, uh, guy. Th- there's a black line. Okay, is it heroin? It's always heroin, isn't it? <laughs> but no, no, no. It's the same. It's the same black line. Yeah. It's not just a black line. It's the same black line. But it also, it's also strangely, it's like trigonometry. I feel like I'm trying to solve a trigonometry problem. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because okay, it's the the same black line. It was drawn on you. Okay, so there's a black line on you. And then it was drawn on me. But it's the same one. So we're together and there's a line that's drawn on us. And now it's drawn me in. What? The line has? Well, well, so, so the black line drawn on you feels like someone getting crossed off. Right. So he's like, yeah, he's getting crossed out. I'm the same. I'm this, I'm the same as you. Like I'm, 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 I'm nothing. You got crossed off. I got crossed off. And now I'm like, I'm into this idea of being canceled. He's like 25 years early on cancel culture. <laughs> you think that's where it's headed? <laughs> so interesting, interesting interstitial on this song. Like Adam Duritz is a feature artist in the song. He sings all the backing vocals. Get out of did you here. know that? I did not know that, no. sir. Oh, I see it now. Featured artist. Counting, counting Crows singer. And it's got the gra- a Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Duo. Huh. Yeah. So is that, I mean, is that like, oh, cool, just Dylan's kid. Just with a chorus just, that is impenetrable. Like, it, the, cor- the chorus words are nonsense. Like, we're just singing, the same black line that was drawn on you is drawn on me, and now it's a cosecant transverse angle. And you got to calculate. <laughs> it's all, it adds up six to 180 degrees. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah. and I don't understand really like where the heartache is, I guess. Yeah, like, that, that the heartache appears out of nowhere. We're talking about lines and they're being drawn and then oh, it's a heartache. Oh, they're saying the Sixth Avenue line is uh, New York City's busiest subway line. Oh, OK. Well, there you go. So we're on we're definitely walking on the street and there's a subway. The heartache is because he's homeless. Huh. Well, and that really does fit the kind of aesthetic of Adam Duritz, so I see why they pulled him in. Yeah, he was he was homeless chic, wasn't he? <laughs> Cargo shorts, but with a jacket. <laughs> yeah, or like uh one of those one of those like burlap hoodies that people in Colorado wear. What are those made out of? Like hemp hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Just the most uncomfortable piece of clothing you could ever find. Yeah, it seems scratchy. If there was like a like a polar a polar opposite of cashmere, it would be the Adam Duritz hoodie. <laughs> the Adam Duritz hoodie. Get your Adam Duritz hoodie, and you can wear an air shirt under it. <laughs> Want to be genuinely oh, yeah. uncomfortable? How about mix together some dreads with a hair shirt? <laughs> a hemp hoodie that'll scratch your nips. <laughs> Let's try not showering for four months. He dated a bunch of celebrities. Did he get around? Oh, my God. Adam Dirtz? Yeah. Are you ready for this list? Here it goes. Yeah. yeah. Laura, Laura Flynn Boyle, Monica Potter, Winona Ryder, Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox. What? Mary Louise Parker. Christina Applegate, Samantha Mathis. Remember, she was uh, Pump It Up, right? Remember her? Yeah, yeah. Dude, what a run. Oh, uh, and then I guess Emmy Rossum. Emmy Rossum, the, uh, like from Shameless? Wow. Yeah. She's like a child compared to him. He's like 30 <laughs> years older than her. Yep. Yeah, that's a little creepy. I that's guess way creepy. 2010, <laughs> so how old was she then? Well, I guess she was probably like 25, and he's probably like... Adam Duritz plus 18 more years after the Counting Crows record came out. <laughs> I mean, four. What, okay, okay, this is okay. Good uh, questions about Adam Duritz. <laughs> I didn't know Duritz was just cleaning up in Melrose Place. Like, he just was like. <laughs> just slaying the tang like an astronaut. <laughs> Right. Well, uh, diving right into our main topic tonight, we've got our under the covers bit where we're going to look at songs that were originally written and performed by one band and then performed a second time and recorded by another band. Jeff, I think you've got a great uh, lead in to us tonight. Why don't you kick us off? So my original song is Pink Floyd's Run Like Hell, which is... A tune that's deep on the track list of The Wall. It is the 22nd song on The Wall after the In the Flesh reprise. That's got particularly depressing lyrics if you uh, listen to the second. I usually listen to the first In the Flesh, but the second In the Flesh is a real dark. Um, that's when the fascists are starting to win in the story. This is a great record um, that was accompanied a film called The Wall. Uh, but in the part where uh, basically Pink has become a fascist ruler and started a crackdown, um, 
and so you're getting images of uh it's kind of like uh guys wearing masks from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh like these kind of gooey paper sack looking masks and hiling Hitler doing that um but also dancing you get the song run like hell It's got a great guitar riff, you know, uh, but it's it's got very dark content. So the 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 lyrics to "Run Like Hell" are um, you better make your face up with your favorite disguise, with your button down lips and your roller blind eyes, with your empty smile and your hungry heart. This is a song about despair for sure. Um, and it gets even worse because the second part of the song is about getting crushed by fascists. Anyway, it says, uh, the second part is you better run all day and run all night. Keep your dirty feelings deep inside. And if you're taking your girlfriend out tonight, you better park the car well out of sight. Cause if they catch you in the backseat trying to pick her locks, they're going to send you back to mother in a cardboard box. Whoa. You better run. And and that's accompanied by a guy that's actually hooking up with his girlfriend in the backseat. And they they take him out of the car and drag him down the street and then attack her. So it's a really bleak uh, depiction. The song absolutely dominates. It's only a couple of minutes long. Uh, you know, this is unlike many other things that people were listening to in 1979, I would say, in the movies 1982. My, the, my cover of it is by Kitty. Which is a four-piece girl band, chick band, that absolutely rocks. I love them. Real metal fans, if you call it that, the guys that are are your blog nerd metal fans that are obsessed with musicianship and, oh, no, Opeth is the only actual metal band or whatever. Those guys hate Kitty, and they're a bunch of idiots. So all you listener out there that don't like Kitty, that are metal fans, you're wrong. Uh, Kitty, they formed in high school in London, Ontario. I didn't pick them for that. I actually realized that after the fact that they're a Canadian band that's from only about an hour and a half away from where I live in Toronto. Um, kind of a unassuming college town. But these girls, just they were 17. They were goth. They were pissed. They did not like boys. They thought that boys were a bunch of Neanderthals. And you can't really blame them for thinking that. And they covered this on their 2001 record, Oracle, which is a follow-up to their 1999 record, which is called Spit. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking love it. This was their follow-up. They cover Run Like Hell. What's great about their cover of this song 
is that it goes from being anti-fascist to being anti-patriarchy when they when they're hitting so first off it's just a rocker it doesn't have the nice david gilmore guitar lick in it anymore the din, 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 that's gone it's just for like a full minute before they even start <laughs> yeah boom 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 with a lot of double bass drum and they're just here to rock your lame ass they're not even they're just not fucking around but by the time she gets to sing in that second verse, she's singing about the all those boys and the patriarchy and how they misuse their girlfriends and their bastards. She, that's what she's singing about. So she turns that second lyric that's keep your dirty feelings deep inside because if they catch you in the backseat trying to pick her locks, they're going to send you back to mother. That's the way they sing it. And they're just like, fuck you. And and it I, it hits hard to me, and I, I love them for that. I love them for how hard they rock, how pissed they are. I'm pissed too, you know? And so I listen to this song when I'm pissed off. It makes me feel good. Um, so that's a shout-out to Kitty. This is a great cover. I hope that people that had never heard Kitty before listen to their first record and their second record because they hear this cover and realize that it, it rules. My mother-in-law lives with us too, and she's a huge Pink Floyd fan, and we were talking after dinner tonight uh about uh, the show and, and what we're going to talk about. And she's like, oh, yeah, I love, you know, Pink Floyd and I love this song. And I was like, well, let's take a listen. And she's like listening to the first minute and saying, yeah, I can kind of hear it in there. <laughs> and they just start screeching, screaming through like the uh, the intro of the chorus or the, the verse. And and uh, she's like, oh, yep, yeah, that's different. But uh, it's uh, it's such a melter, man. That's a great pick. My six-year-old son was, what is the name of that song? <laughs> he was <laughs> zeroed in on it immediately. He's uh, he liked it. I was I was impressed. But that's my boy. I love that you played it for Deck. That's fantastic. Oh, I, I play all my music in front of. Him. He loves it. He just he's like, oh, when can I have my own playlist? Is what he always asks me. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, thanks, Jeff. Russ, why don't we pick it up with you? And uh, what'd you what'd you bring this week? Okay, so my choice this week is "Darling Nikki," the song by Prince from his 1984 album "Purple Rain," and it's covered by Foo Fighters. Hell yes. I love this song. It's uh, I, I love the original and I love the covered version. I chose it because it's just it's a bold and provocative song that I don't know it stirred a lot of controversy up when it was first coming out. Yeah, it's one of the best songs about masturbating that's out there, and uh, it's like forty years old. Yeah, the explicit lyrics about sex and and uh, that hidden message at the end that you have to play backwards to hear. At least in the eighties, parents were thinking it was satanic, I'm sure, only to play it backwards to hear him saying, hello, how are you? 
fine, fine, because the Lord is coming soon or something like that. So, which and it's, it's played gospelly, right? And so Foo Fighters did a cover of Darling Nikki almost as a joke because Dave Grohl loved the song. And, uh, and then they ended up releasing it on their Australian single for Have It All in 2003 off the One by One record. And it actually gained some popularity and got some play on the radio. I think covers, for me, need to respect the original and also capture the band's style that performs it. And if you listen to the Foo Fighters version of Darling Nikki, it's would, and you didn't know this original song, it would just sound like a Foo Fighters song. She took me to a castle and I just couldn't believe my eyes. She had so many devices, everything that money could buy. She said, sign your name on the dotted line. The lights went out and Nikki started to grind. <laughs> Then if you listen to the uh, the Prince song, you realize that it's very close. Whereas the Foo Fighters song has got Dave's screams. He's got his, like, his marquee screams. and Great scream, too. And he's like, Nick! <laughs> he's like, <laughs> right. It's right. just like an all-time scream. But he includes the Prince O at a point, too. It's kind of a O oh, or what? I, I can't, I can't right. do it. But, it <laughs> yeah. but it's there. And you're like, oh, man, it's... it's Still so Prince. Hey, yeah, mark that. We need a, we need that as a drop in the future. The rusty O face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but this is where the music critics and I disagree because uh, many of them disliked the cover. They said it was unoriginal and boring, which to me is crazy, but I don't get paid to review music, so what do I fucking know, right? Not yet. Thank you, listener. Yeah, how, aren't we monetizing, guys? Did I miss something? <laughs> right. That was a that was a different meeting. No, it's interesting. Like I I love Purple Rain. The things that came out of that record and and uh, the uh, the Parental Advisory Society. Who was that? Nancy Reagan, like spearheaded or something? It's Tipper Gore. Tipper Gore. Oh shit! I don't know anything about history. I'm an idiot. But. <laughs> Yeah, those stickers are everywhere as a result because she was like she was scared that her her kid was listening to this record. And- her kid was listening to it and she started yeah. the uh <laughs> she started the Parents Music Resource Center, the PMRC, which tried to gag the explicit music and I bet uh, they tried and- to gag them. <laughs> right. Well, so I mean we can say thanks to Tipper and Prince for all the albums with the parental advisory branding. Yeah. You know Tipper and Al are freaky behind closed doors. <laughs> You know they're flying that freak flag, <laughs> and I bet they actually like get off on the censorship. You know, like they're censoring everybody else, but then mm. they're just like, "Oh yeah, just what did what did you get past through Congress today? Oh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make them paint parental advisory stickers on the front of CDs. Oh Ooh, yeah, muzzle those artists. <laughs> yeah." Yeah, man, that's crazy. And what a history those two have with censorship. They try to create something that would go on top of the, a TV. I think it was called like a V-Box or something. Um, actually, oh. actually, that's just what I call my wife. No, um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, they, no, they did try to create this box that would go on TV and I would automatically that. censor out violence. Right, if you turn it on, it's so I don't even know how the hell that would work, and I I think ultimately it did not work. <laughs> All right, so um, 
going back to Prince, he was a just a true supporter of musicians. He said, and I quote, if you really enjoy the artists, you need to be buying their music and supporting them in concert. Most don't have a 401k or insurance. This is how they make their living. They live through their art. So uh, he apparently kept up with new music. He bought albums and he went to shows. But he was very protective of his own music. He said, and again, quoting, Covering the music means that your version doesn't exist anymore. And he also said that he didn't like others covering his music because they couldn't do it justice and that he had no problem reimagining others' work. And he would often say, I can play their music. They just can't play mine. <laughs> I love Prince. They can't do what I can do. I can do what they can do. <laughs> he supported Nothing Compares to You. He supported Sinead in that. I read he was pissed off because people thought that he was covering her. And I think that's when he right. switched his tune. Oh, I see. So that happened to um, David Bowie with Nirvana. He thought of it as evidence that he was cool because his songs 20 years after he wrote them are still popular, which is a better, I think, a healthier way of thinking about it. But Prince was a very competitive human being, and that's part of what made him awesome. And so this is part of that. He wants He wants all that ego support you know well but then again it's it's hard to say because um at first he was reported to be really unhappy with Foo Fighters cover of Darling Nikki and then an Entertainment Weekly quoted him as saying I don't like anyone covering my work write your own tunes that's what he said right right and then uh, and then he wouldn't grant the Foo Fighters an official U.S. release so they Somehow got it on the Australian record, but never officially on the U.S. However, I guess last year, Prince's former assistant, uh, Ruth Violet Arzate, said that he actually liked the Foo Fighters version of Darling Nikki. And he had told her that his statement was taken out of context in that Entertainment Weekly article. Um, he said, and again, quoting, Foo Fighters embodied Darling Nikki in the way it was meant to be played. They are so good, they could do a whole album of my rock songs. And I do like the way Dave Grohl keeps the integrity of the song in his performance. Hold on. So time out. They were quoting Prince here. Noel, she was quoting something that Prince said to her. I heard that Prince wouldn't let journalists record their conversation and he wouldn't let them take notes while they're talking to him. He would just have the conversation and then they would have to go furiously write down the notes of everything <laughs> he said. Um, but this did two things. One is that nobody can ever quote him directly, which means that he can always deny it. And the other thing is that it just made them record their impressions of their conversation rather than trying to get quotes the whole time. So they actually had to hold a conversation with them and then later remember it, which is a form of art in itself. Anyway, um, I hope all that's true. That's what I've... Yeah, that's cool. I hope it is true also. That's good. In 2007, Prince uh, performed a cover of Best of You by Foo Fighters at the Super Bowl. He did not ask them for permission either. Uh, so they huh. both they'd both covered each other's songs without permission. Taylor Hawkins, the Foo Fighters drummer, joked it was revenge for their cover of Darling Nikki. And at this time, they still thought Prince was angry with him. But uh, Taylor was quoted as saying, having Prince cover one of our songs and do it better than we did was pretty incredible. So there was no love lost on that side of it. Um, a little while later, Prince finally met the Foo Fighters at a concert and praised their talent and dedication. He told his assistant at the time, Ruth Violet Arzate, 
and her quote of his quote of her impression of however it works yeah. out. Um, <laughs> this is what she remembers, I guess, him saying, the entire band was excellent, and you know how much I admire excellence. They were raw and edgy in their playing. I bet they rehearse a lot. You don't sound like that unless you've rehearsed till the dirt falls off and the shine comes through. In 2011, Dave Grohl had the chance to jam with Prince. And this goes back to your story about him not ever letting things be recorded or written down or whatnot. So um, there is no recording of the session, no documentation of it at all. But Dave later said that it was a dream fulfilled and that he only saw Prince once more and they just nodded in passing. The theme connecting my songs this week, other than the song itself, is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So the rock and roll is clear with Prince and Foo Fighters. Darling Nikki takes care of the sex, but the drugs are tragic. Prince died of an accidental overdose of fentanyl in 2016. Taylor Hawkins, the drummer for Foo Fighters, almost died of a a heroin overdose in 2001. When he later died in 2022, he had over 10 substances in his blood. But the cause of death remains unknown. Other heroin addicts that later kicked to fentanyl... And other types of substances. Scott Weiland of Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, Love that heroin yeah. a lot. And then he quit and he was like, a, he was in rehab and, you know, was going through whatever steps. He quit heroin, but he was really just doing a shitload of opioids. Like that was, a, he, he was really still just doing heroin, but like in a different format, you know. Um, but yeah, it's tough. Again, rock stars, they, they die better and harder than we do. We we just have urinary tract infections and get sepsis, but they're they're on a bus getting blown while they die of opioids, which is pretty awesome. All right, so that, that concludes Darling Nikki. <laughs> That's a good conclusion for Darling Nikki. Oh, man. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Thanks, Fro. Uh, those, are, those are great. It's an interesting transition over into to my pick because uh, it is it's another it's another dead rock star, right? So you kind of mentioned him in this uh, idea of Bowie was thought to be covering a Nirvana song, but it was in fact Nirvana who was covering you know Man Who Sold the World. But the song I picked for today is the Nirvana track in Bloom off of the Nevermind record. So in bloom is this is uh, the track off of, of Nevermind, dude. Which is it? Is, it's uh, their best song, man. I just have to get it out there. Great intro. No, there's a uh, there's some really interesting things about um, the song and and how uh, Cobain wrote it. They follow a very atypical music theory like there's in music theory there's a circle of fifths of you know notes that go together that make sense and and like uh the chords for in bloom are very non-conventional it doesn't make sense but um it just it worked in this really 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 good way really interesting way is it the part you mean like in his guitar parts where he's like 
nah, 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 that all that stuff yeah, that sounds right. just kind of odd, but it so right. just is cranked up and it rocks your lame ass. Yeah, hundred percent. Sell the kids for food. You're a little, you're a little flat, when but I you... change the springs hit. I'm not a good singer, Dave. I know that. Well, that's okay. Everyone knows that. Well, listener knows that too. Thank you, listener. Um, At least I try to sing. A... Do you try to sing? <laughs> no. The song is about uh, how they've kind of become this this band that people know, but uh, uh, they don't really know the words to the songs. You know, they 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 sing along, but they don't know the words, kind of thing. And the critics talk about how. It's a commentary on on how popular they got after uh, the Bleach record, and and how you know Kurt never wanted to have that sort of fame. It was always something that he rejected, and, and this was a song that came out of that. Could I just two finger with the theory of Kurt Cobain, if you don't mind? Two finger, sorry, in my line of work, that's if you have a point that directly relates to the thing just said my theory of Cobain is that he knew that he had to pretend that he didn't like fame because that's what made you awesome when you were famous it was grunge cool to not like the fame <laughs> well yeah because you couldn't sell out that was like a huge thing back then you you could never like be like I enjoy being famous <laughs> that works now <laughs> And hip-hop kind of gave us that a little bit, where they were just, like, embracing all of their money and fame. And now everybody kind of does that. But back then, it was seen as, like, you were corporate, you were not true, you know, it wasn't real art. Yeah, you know, Dave Dave Grohl drove his old S10 Chevy pickup, like the 80 model, until 2005, when he finally bought a BMW. Wow. I mean, he had, he'd been through Nirvana and was on the fifth Foo Fighter album before he finally got rid of the old truck. Exactly. And that's about the time I think we stopped caring about all that. It was like, money won, guys. Just like, just have a private plane if it makes you get to your gig faster. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, but I think the song is, he. There, it is like derisive towards their fans or their new fans. Yeah, they, uh, they 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 create sort of this archetypal uh, person, you know, their fan, the 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 dude bro of the early '90s with the uh, oh cool, everybody's wearing flannel. I'm gonna get a flannel and cut up my jeans. And yeah, I like Nirvana too. Like you said, Jeff, it's 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 up there for for one of the top Nirvana songs of all time. And uh, and so it's no surprise that uh, fast forward 25 years later, Sturgill Simpson puts out his record, A Sailor's Guide to Earth, and he puts a cover of In Bloom on the record. He's a one likes all our pretty songs and likes to sing home and likes to shoot his gun. But you don't know what it means. Don't know what it means to love someone. And he talks about uh, when he was writing this record because uh, he was a new father. You know, he came off the road to uh, be there for the birth of his son, as I remember it. And uh, you know, in the the first couple of months of of being a dad, he he wrote this album. 
as sort of a uh, a love letter to like, hey, these are things that I want you to know as my kid. And uh, and so he records this this cover of it, and it is, you know, if you don't know Sturgill Simpson, you know, run, don't walk to the store to the Spotify playlist or whatever, and and get going because he's. I think a voice that that is saving country music at the moment. This album, Sailor's Guide to Earth, was uh, nominated for Album of the Year uh, for Grammy that year. It's a brilliant record, and um, and this cover is just really beautiful. Sturgill Simpson has has reimagined this song in a in a in a more of a, a ballad esque kind of way, and instead of like looking out at the listener as this archetypal sort of person. He gets very specific about uh, who his who is who his person is in the song, and it's interesting because he he does this unintentionally because he he records the song, but the lyrics are wrong in the refrain. The actual lyrics are they don't know what it means when I say yeah, as what Kurt sings. But he changes it. He changes the lyric to it. Don't know what it means to love someone. Dude, I thought that. I, uh, right? I'm glad that you said that. I was like, those are the words that he's saying in the Nirvana song? Because it's about love. And Yeah. Right? I was like, I, I guess I really don't know the words to this song. And so that's the thing. When Sturgill recorded it, he, he thought that's what the words were. Like, he just... That's oh, did he? he it was just an honest <laughs> mistake? That's awesome. He, was, he had to write a letter to the uh, to Kurt's estate to say, like, I'm really sorry that I fucked the song up. Like, this is what I thought. Like, please let me keep it on the record because they didn't have it signed off and everything was done. And, like, one of his, his production people came up and said, hey, you know, that's not the actual lyric to the song, right? And he's like, what are you talking about? And And so his interpretation of the song that he wants to tell his kid is that it's okay um, as a dude to have emotional moments and, and that it's okay to feel things and, and, and to not be this person that doesn't know how to, you know, how to love and just wants to go out and shoot your guns. And, and so it's this, it's, it's more of a, a dive into, you know, the, the archetypal male fragility, which is encompassing so much of the world of, of 2016 that, um, that makes it a really poignant uh, cover. And so there's a lot of Nirvana purists that don't like the cover because, you know, that's not what Kurt was trying to do or these aren't the actual lyrics. And yeah, I, I think that it's a brilliant cover. That's a good read, man. That's a that's a cool, that's a, that's a good read on that. I had not thought about that. I didn't realize that. I just thought he was singing it more clearly, so I now knew the words. But that he did change that part, it's almost like... He he's he's literally not only singing to his own kid, but also to the younger version of himself, because he was probably a bit of a shit kicker, too, that didn't know what he wanted to do, just like every 14 year old boy is. And he's saying he doesn't he doesn't know what it means to love someone like, you know, you love this song and you love, your, you know, what you're doing with your posters and stuff when you're a teenage boy, but you don't know yet what it's, what it is to love someone. And neither did young Sturgill, you know, that's, yeah. uh, that's awesome, dude. That's smart. Even, even digging into just like being a father for the first time. Like I think, you know, as you dudes, as both dads too, I think can attest to the idea that the love that you feel for your own children is something that's totally new and, and, and unique to any relationship that you ever had. And, and so I, I think there's a lot of uh, connection there too. So 
Um, I, I love... ate my kids, as you know, I ate them, but <laughs> I did love the taste. So if that's what we're talking about, then yes, I do understand. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. And, you know, that's what we're all here for is, is cannibalism. <laughs> Two weeks in a row with uh, Dave bringing love to the table. It's good, man. <laughs> I got a lot of love. It's sweet. We need it. As uh, I was looking back at what I had done last week, and it turned out to be about heroin. <laughs> last week too. That's funny, man. At six picks, we we cover the whole range. Of course, we're perverted. Of course, you know, and we think that dicks are funny. Like, I mean, come on, it's but not our dicks fault. are funny. Dicks are funny. They're they funny. Are. They're weird and funny. And then we like. We like talking about rock and kicking ass, but we also, guys, we we have emotions. We feel, mm-hmm. you know, and we're not we're okay saying it like Sturgill Simpson is now. Guys, just just as a, like a little bit of a wrap on this, is I'd like to say that I, I like all of our picks this week. I mean, we've kind of done this a couple of times now, but I like all of the picks a lot. Like. All like the originals and the covers that you you all chose greatness. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a strong strong week. This was a good idea. Yeah, it was fun. Well, that's gonna do it for us this week at Six Picks Music. Click the Spotify link in the show notes to dive deeper into all the songs we discussed today, and let us know in the comments what your favorites were. Join us next week as we settle the score and talk about some cinematic music. We're going to be listening to scores and soundtracks of some of our favorite films, so be sure to tune in and hit the like and subscribe buttons to stay up to date on all of our new episodes. And we want to thank our producers, Harry S. Crack, and our editor, Ivana Tinkle, with special thanks, as always, to Dixie Rect for making sure our craft services were taken care of today. Don't forget to brush your donkeys, guys. (laughs) (laughs) They have to be brushed. They have to be brushed. They will get all matty and gross otherwise. Ugh, terrible. All right, donkeys. Keep jamming.